looking at Genesis chapter 30, beginning in verse 25, and we're going to look down to chapter 31, verse 55. And before I read certain portions of this, let's call on the Lord to be present with us and to bless the preaching of his word. Father, again, we ask this morning, this Lord's Day morning, that you would do what you have promised to do. You have said that through the foolishness of the message preached, you would save those who believe. And we believe that you work in those ways, that you have worked in our life in those ways. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would do that this morning, that you would work in the lives of every man and woman and boy and girl present here, that you would redeem even through the message of the gospel proclaimed from this portion of scripture. We pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that we would grow in our love for you, that we would grow in our desire to commune with you, that we would grow in our desire to trust you and to walk according to your word. And so, our Father, please accomplish every purpose that you have for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 30, beginning in verse 25. And now we read, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them. Exposing the white of the sticks, he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the, in the trough, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the trough before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the, the flock, he would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now as we move into chapter 32, Laban's sons, there in verses 1 through 3, tell their father, what has happened and how Jacob is prospering and they are not. 
Jacob then calls his wives to himself, and he tells them that it's God behind everything that he did and that the Lord had made him prosper and that the Lord had been with him these 20 years and that everything Laban had benefited from was a result of God's blessing, not Jacob's ingenuity. And then Jacob rises in verse 17, and he takes away all this great livestock and property that he's gotten. And, and as he is making his way back to his homeland, back to the place where God had said he would bless Abraham and Isaac, his father, and as he's making his way back now and he is making the long trek home, Laban comes to meet him. In verse 22, we're told Laban on the third day was told that Jacob fled. He took his kinsmen with him, pursued him seven days, and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And then from verses 25 down, Laban overtakes Jacob. He disobeys God. He speaks harshly to Jacob, but he doesn't hurt Jacob. He tells Jacob that someone had stolen some of their household idols. We are then told that was Rachel, his daughter. You have the saga of Laban looking into those things in verses 33 down to 42. And then let me read for us the remainder of this, beginning in verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And there they built the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, the Lord, watch between you and me. And when we are out of each other's sight, if you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God, and he actually says the gods in the Hebrew, are witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and this pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness and I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The, and again in Hebrew, the gods of Abraham and the gods of Nahor and the gods of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. One of my favorite stories in church history, and there's so many in that era of the Reformation where the reformers doing such an important work and God doing such an important work through them were so severely persecuted by uh, nations, by the Roman Catholic Church. So many of them fleeing for their lives as they, they sought to propagate the truth of God's word and, and even as they, sought to, as they sought to translate God's word. One of my favorite stories is that which we find about uh, uh, William Tyndale, you, you may not know this, but you wouldn't even have an English Bible today if it were not for William Tyndale 
and the sacrifices that he made. And, and you may not know much about William Tyndale, but every time you pick up an English translation of the Bible and are able to read God's word, you should know that's because William Tyndale put his life on the line against the Roman Catholic uh, edicts that no one should be able to have the Bible in their language, but that it should only be kept for the priest in the Latin, in the, in the vulgar language. And as Tyndale set out to make his first translation of the English Bible, and as he used his own resources, and as he was in hiding, as the Roman Catholic archbishops were pursuing him and were pursuing the work that he was doing, and as, as that first translation of the English Bible went out, and as Tyndale's friends began to disseminate copies of it, uh, the Church of Rome caught wind of this, and one of the foremost archbishops uh, pronounced a public pronouncement that everyone should bring their copies of Tyndale's English Bible and that the Church of Rome would buy those copies and would then burn them in the public square. And as they systematically went to buying every copy of scripture that Tyndale had produced, and as they systematically went to burn them in the public square, William Tyndale had a plan. And he went to his friends and he said to them, stop selling these English Bibles to the archbishop, bring them to me. And Tyndale had one friend with whom he gave all the copies he could gather together. And he told that friend, now go and take them to the archbishop and sell them to him to burn and bring me the money. And I will do a second edition of the English Bible with the money bought from the burned Bibles. And William Tyndale did that. And the second edition of Tyndale's Bible was much more refined, much more careful scholarship, a much better version. And it's one of those great accounts because you see God overshadowing the opposition that his people often endure. You see God at work. It wasn't William Tyndale's ingenuity. It wasn't William Tyndale's scheming that, that got him the money. It was God's overshadowing and placing all of those events in, in just the right order, at just the right time, in just the right way. And we see the exact same thing now in Jacob's life. As Jacob is wanting to go back home, as he is learning to trust the Lord, as he is wanting to go back to where God has told him to go, as he has now had many years of service under his father-in-law Laban, he has had 20 years, he will tell us, in Genesis chapter 30 31, 20 years of service in his father-in-law's house. And now he would take all of his family back home, but he had a problem. He had no possessions. Those 20 years had left him in servitude without any possessions of his own. At the end of this section, you'll note that Laban actually said to him, your wives are mine, your children are mine, your possessions are mine, I own you. And Jacob felt owned. Um, in a very real sense, we are meant to see in this chapter a, a precursor of Israel in captivity, in bondage. Um, Laban is called, and, and this is always an important thing when you read your Bible to look for those little details that maybe jump out and you're not quite sure why that's there, but, but when you see it, you know it's important. Laban is called Laban the Syrian. Laban the Syrian, and Syria becomes one of the great oppressive forces against Israel in their history. Here, someone so close in kin has subjected Jacob to 20 years of harsh servitude, as it were. 
And yet Jacob is learning to trust the Lord and he's learning to go back. And what we're going to see in these two chapters, and it divides so nicely, is we're going to see God orchestrating Jacob making a deal with Laban in order to go home. And then we are going to see God orchestrating Laban's deal breaking, the deal making and the deal breaking. And over all of that, the major point over all of that is that if you are a believer, God has promised to keep you and to protect you and to bless you no matter what obstacles stand in your way. God will bless you even when there are unpromising circumstances, even when there are untrustworthy employers, even when there are untrustworthy family members, even when the obstacles of your life say everything is against me. If, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have been a recipient of God's blessings by faith in Christ, then God has said, no matter what is in your life, my blessing will come to you by grace. I will manifest itself and I will do for you as I have promised to do. That's the point of Genesis chapter 30, 25 and following. And as we consider Jacob making a deal, notice that his heart is not entirely pure. Notice in verse 25 that Moses, as he begins this section, says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Remember, we had the birth wars and we had, we had the twisted sisters. You had Laban and you had Rachel and you had Leah and they were in competition for children because they wanted the idol of supremacy and preeminence. And they wanted not only the love of their husband, they wanted the preeminence over themselves. And as they fought and they sought to have their children, they sought to gain those idols, we saw that finally, at the very end, God listens to Rachel. And God gives Rachel her first and here only son, Joseph. Leah, remember, has seven children. And their handmaidens that they gave to, to Jacob bore them children. And now Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife, whom he idolized sinfully, has had the child that she longed for. And Jacob essentially is saying, that's enough for me. Now it's time to go home. You see, Jacob still has so much to learn in his situation. Jacob has been, and we'll learn this, very interesting. Jacob will say in chapter 31, when he speaks to his wives, and notice this over in verse 4 and following, Notice that he says in verse 5 to his wife, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. The God of my father has been with me. Jacob is for the first time expressing spiritual thoughts about what he knows is now true in his life. And at the end of this chapter, at the end of chapter 31, Jacob will actually tell us twice that he was there for 20 years years, 20 years. I've not been a regenerate believer for 20 years. Maybe some of you haven't. 20 years God had been at work in Jacob's life. Jacob says God has been with me. And what had God been doing for those 20 years? He had been chastening Jacob for 20 years. He had been dealing with Jacob according to his own deception. He had been he had bring, been bringing Jacob through a wilderness, as it were. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about my own life and the propensity to read my circumstances and then to impose that on the scriptures, rather than to have the Bible interpret my circumstances, 
I'm the kind of person, and, and one theologian puts it so well, that, that would like God to work when we're strong and have plenty. We want God to work when we're strong and have plenty, but that's not when God usually works. God usually works when we're weak and we're empty and we're helpless and everything in our lives seems like an impossibility. That's how God normally works. God, God brings Jacob, in a sense, he brings him into this chastening servitude under Laban for 20 years because God is going to bring Jacob to a place where Jacob will see that it's God's work in his life. And here's the remarkable thing, and don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this. If you read Jacob's life sitting there, if you knew Jacob, and you left this place today, and you passed Jacob by, and you saw him out in the fields. Don't have a lot of fields out here, but let's just imagine, go west a little bit. And you see Jacob working out in the fields. You see him plowing the ground. You see him with some sheep and some goats. And, and you see Jacob out there laboring. And, and you go up to Jacob, and you talk to Jacob. You have a conversation with Jacob, and you ask him how long he's been doing it. And he says, well, this is, this is my 20th year, and my four wives are back home with the kids. You'd probably be like, are you a Mormon? That would be the natural question. And, but that's, we're just people of our time. And if we went back and, and we, we met Jacob and we talked to him and, and, and he told us what had been happening to him over the last 20 years, there would be nothing in that that would make you think God is working in Jacob's life. Jacob is God's man by grace. God is doing something marvelous that the world couldn't see, that Jacob's family members couldn't see, and they needed him to tell them. His own wives needed him to tell them what God had told him he had been doing for 20 years. Now, that means whatever's going on in your life, if you belong to Jesus, and you feel barren, and you feel like you're not growing spiritually enough, and there's hardship after hardship after hardship after hardship, trial after trial after trial, and things aren't going just better and better and better, and the answer is not, maybe you need a change. Maybe you need a strategic move. That is not the answer. The answer is, if you belong to Jesus, God has been, will be at work in your life. If you belong to Jesus Christ, the same thing he does with Jacob he does with every other Jacob that he calls by his grace. And that's an amazing thing. And he begins to unravel for Jacob who he is. Jacob will tell us in chapter 31, verses 4 down to verse 16, that God had revealed himself to him and that God had, had told him to go back to his family and to the covenant home where the promises were and to the land of promise, to the place where God has said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. And God begins to reveal and interpret for Jacob what has been actually happening in his life. And, and God gives Jacob a plan. He tells Jacob to take these these poplar branches, and to peel them back and to show the white and to set them before the, these, these sheep and these goats. And it, it doesn't make any sense. Nothing about what Jacob does in chapter 30 makes sense. And no amount of reading and no amount of conversation you could ever have with me will ever make it make sense. Trust me. Some people think it's witchcraft. Some people think it was natural science. Some people think it was God's intervention in making something work 
supernaturally that otherwise wouldn't have worked in making sheep reproduce in such a way so that God would bless Jacob. But what we can say, whatever we say about the poplar branches and the white bark showing and the sheep that see the white bearing speckled and spotted sheep, we can say that God gave Jacob the plan because God wanted to bring Jacob home. God was continuing to work in Jacob's life and Jacob was finally realizing it. Now, there's great comfort in that. For me, there's great comfort in that. I hope there's comfort for that in you because, you know, we all, we all do the same thing. There's one thing that we all do. We all are trying to interpret our lives. We're all trying to interpret our lives. I, I, you may do this to me. You may interpret aspects of my life. When we assess What's going on with people? We're interpreting their lives, and, and we interpret our own lives. What's, what's happening in my life? Why is this happening in my life? What, what, what season of life am I in? Will I live another season of life? Is this my last season of life? Those, I hope that you assess your life in that way. Um, we're called to, by God, to examine ourselves, to think about what's happening. But, but so often, there are so many things that God has put in our lives that don't seem to make sense. 20 years in servitude to the grandson of the man God called and gave covenant promises, the one who came to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 20 years of servitude without any possessions at the end of it and a harsh and vindictive and greedy and selfish and wicked uncle employer doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And yet Jacob starts to see God is doing what God wants to do in my life. And it's amazing. It's amazing. He tells his wives, we're going to go back. Um, he, he tells his wives that now that this, this, this plan has worked, and, and he went to Laban with the plan. He was upright. You know, this is the first time Jacob's upright in the whole of Genesis. It's the first time because he's obeying the Lord now. He's listening to the word of God. This is the big point. Jacob is listening to the word of God. God has come to him and he said, this is what I want you to do. And Jacob has heeded it. And, and you know, when, when our lives start to make sense as we seek to interpret what's going on in our lives, and when we start to realize what God's doing in our lives, that only happens when we start to listen to God's word, to all of God's word in the scriptures. And as we start to listen to all of God's word in the Bible, and as we start to realize how much we don't listen to God's word and how much we're seeking to interpret our lives apart from God's word, as we, as we begin to say, Lord, I cannot live apart from your word. You know, there's a reason why William Tyndale gave his life to give you the Bible in English. There's a reason why. Because he knew that you needed that. He knew that we needed the scriptures in order to understand what God is doing in our lives and to know him and to be redeemed by him and to know his saving grace and to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so as Jacob begins to listen God's word, then he begins to act on God's word. He begins to act wisely and godly. He goes to Laban and he says, I have a plan. He says, I've served you for 20 years. Laban disingenuously says, says to him, well, well what, you know, name your wages. Who wouldn't want that? Tomorrow, you go to work. Your boss says, what do you want to make? You tell me. And Jacob says, give me all your defunct animals. Give me all your worthless, blemished 
trying to look for an appropriate word. Worthless is, will do. Worthless animals. Give me all your worthless animals. And Laban, being the shrewd, greedy businessman that he is, says, sounds great to me. And then swindles Jacob even on that by taking all the speckled and spotted and black sheep and goats and giving them to his own sons. And Jacob, you know, has, and he says it twice in this chapter, he says uh, both to his wives and then again at the end of this section to Laban in chapter 31, verse 7 and 42, that, that Laban deceived him and changed his wages 10 times over 20 years. 10 times Laban was like, well, I know I said that, but this is what you're going to get. And, and Jacob says it to Laban, so you know that he's not just telling his wives something. And, and yet he acts with wisdom and uprightness, and he takes the wrong. And, and so he goes and he puts into to practice what God had told him to do. And, and speckled and spotted and striped sheep and, and black sheep and goats begin to be born. And Jacob begins to amass great wealth, and, and he did it honestly. He did it because his heart is now desirous to go back to where God wants him. He wants to obey the Lord, and he wants to do what the Lord wants him to do. He wants his life to take shape and form based on what God wants for him. And so as he does, he begins to see that God's plan was to prosper him. And so much so that he becomes wealthy. And commentators have said, in in essence, he becomes a millionaire overnight. Um, And without any deceit, without any conniving, Yes, he had a perfectly wise plan. And then he goes and he tells his wives, by the way, men, always a good idea. Whenever you're doing any major life decision, run it by your wives. Tell her what you're doing. He, he has four to tell it to. And, and they, miraculously, Rachel and Leah agree. This is a good idea. It's the only time they've agreed. This is a good idea. We should go back now. God has blessed us. God has given us covenant promises. We should follow God's leading. This is good. And... No sooner do they set off that Laban comes to pursue Jacob because Laban's sons have told him that he has prospered. Now, the deal has been made. God has been overseeing all of these events in Jacob's life. And, um, you know, someone has said so pointedly and, and very, very important as we look at this section that we get this. Um, we could very easily look at Genesis 30, 25 and following and say, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We can say that, and that's true. But we cannot look at Genesis 30 and 31 and say, all things work together for good for everyone. We cannot, because all things do not work together for good for Laban. In fact, if you remember at the outset of our series in Genesis, we, we drew together that what Genesis really is is an outworking of Genesis 3.15. It's an outworking of that covenant promise that God has said he would send the Redeemer, the seed of the woman, who would crush the head of the serpent. And at every stage, Cain is representative of the seed of the serpent, and he's persecuting Abel, his brother, who is representative of the seed of the woman, a type of the redeemer, and then Noah is, and the wicked world is the seed of the serpent, and and Abraham, and the nation, Sodom and Gomorrah, and everywhere those two lines are, are, are expanding and converging, and the hostility and the enmity that Jesus' kingdom is breaking into time and space is the, the theme of the book of Genesis and the Bible. That's how you understand the Bible. 
and here. And everything in me wanted to tell you this weeks ago, and I held off because I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure that I could say this, but, but I think I can this morning. I believe that Laban is the seed of the serpent. He is a type of the evil one in enmity against God and his people. It is Satan's kingdom versus the kingdom of Christ. The language betrays it. He's Laban the Syrian. He is a deceiver. What was Satan at the beginning of the book of Genesis? He was the deceiver. And, and Laban never repents of his deception. And God never deals with Laban's deception. And Laban goes away empty at the end of this chapter. It's very interesting. Uh, this has also been noted several times that with Jacob and Laban, you sort of have precursors of the prodigal son and the rich young ruler. The prodigal son realizes his sin. He comes to his senses. He says, I will return to my father. I was in the far country. I will go back. I will go back into the arms of God. And, and I will do as he has called me to do. And I recognize how much I have sinned and failed him. And he repents. And the rich young ruler walks away from Jesus's call to mercy. That if he would just let go of what gripped his heart, he would have eternal riches. And the irony is the prodigal son returns and is filled, and the rich young ruler goes away and goes away empty. Now, there's an interesting interaction here that precedes that, and that, that interaction is the fact that Laban had been blessed because of Jacob for all these years. Isn't that interesting? All these years. Laban said he learned it by divination. He could have learned it just by opening his eyes and looking around. Not being so proud in heart. You know, uh, Kent Hughes makes the point. He says, Laban, this is a great quote. Just listen to this. Laban is a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Laban is a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. He doesn't value the God of Jacob. He doesn't value the redemptive promises God gave. He doesn't value the gospel. He doesn't value his soul. He doesn't value eternity. He doesn't value caring for people. He doesn't value anything but himself. At every point, at the end, he says, I own you. That's all he values. And sadly... So many in this world and in the church are just like Laban. So often we are like Laban. We may know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Laban should have praised the God of Jacob because he was blessed by him. He should have said, Jacob, can I know this God? And instead, at the end, when he comes and he meets them and they finally have that interaction, what does Laban do? He says, let's make a covenant and, and let's make this covenant by the gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say the God. He just thinks that's another God. It's all the same. Let's just, it's good. We'll call them the gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Laban's fine with religious pluralism, which shows that he is an absolute unbeliever. By the way, that is a mark of unbelief. And Jacob swears by the fear of the God of his father, the fear of Isaac. He worships the true and the living God. Jacob is the blessed seed of the woman in whom all the promises are being passed down. Now, there is, there is that sad note at the end of this. I mean, even the language, and it is that last verse. Then Laban departed and returned home. 
just sad, isn't he? He has nothing now. He's no, he doesn't have his daughters, doesn't have his grandchildren, doesn't have his son-in-law whom he oppressed, doesn't have his possessions. He goes home empty and alone, and it's a picture that he is the covenant breaker and that he has received the covenant curses. That ultimately, ultimately, everyone who turns away from Jesus Christ, their lives will end just like Laban. They will return and have nothing. And yet by way of contrast, Jacob leaves with enormous blessing and bounty. That's a picture of the bounty God gives us in the gospel. Not, not in laying up treasures here on earth, but in the, the blessing, the spiritual prosperity that God gives his people in Jesus Christ. And, and the question, and we have to ask this question repeatedly as we go through Genesis, as we go through the Bible, how does that blessing become ours? Ian Duguid has this beautiful thought where he says there's a contrast if you read the rest of the narrative into the Gospels, right? Jacob, listen very carefully, Jacob is in the wilderness and he has nothing. He's poor. And then God blesses him and brings him into great bounty of everything. Jesus, by way of contrast, has everything. And he gives it all up. He who was rich became poor. And he comes into the wilderness of this world and he becomes the bondservant of his father and he comes to set the captives free and he becomes the heir of all things and he becomes rich for his people's sake so that by grace he might load them with blessing. You know, here's one of the remarkable things about this, this section. Jacob doesn't do anything to get the blessing. He doesn't do anything to get the blessing. That's, that's the big, why, 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 why does God bless Jacob? Why does God bless Jacob? Why doesn't God bless Laban? Why didn't God bless Esau? Because God had set his grace on Jacob and God had said, I will do as I have promised. I, he was doing it through chastening Jacob, but he was doing it to bless Jacob. All because Jesus Christ would be cursed for Jacob to give those blessings to Jacob. I love this. William Still, this is, this is one of those great quotes you could just return to over and over again. And, and maybe I'll leave you with this thought here as you consider your lives and, and you consider the ways in which you've been seeking to interpret your lives and what's going on and whether you've been listening to God's word and whether you've been seeking to walk in, in trusting humility before the Lord and, and, and your interactions with others and, and perhaps the way the world and unbelievers, even in the church, may treat you unjustly and and what is God doing in all that? How, how, how can God allow all this to happen? Listen to this, listen to this statement. William still says, In this vortex of family intrigue and deception, sly craftiness and selfish using of one another for personal gain, which even overturns love of family and ties of blood, in this vortex of intrigue, we can rest content that whoever does wrong, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Laban, and his son, or Leah and Rachel, God will do no wrong. Don't miss that. In this vortex of deception and intrigue and selfishness and manipulation, everyone may be doing wrong. Even Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Laban, his sons, Leah, Rachel, everybody, God will do no wrong. That's the point. God will do no wrong. He will be vindicated, not only so that no wrong can be attributed to him, but also that by his inscrutable wisdom, he will be able to steer himself 
through the mazes of subterfuge, machinations, and trickery, which his holy head, with his holy head held high, and his heart and mind absolutely pure and blameless, the infinitely holy God, working out his plan by his grace in the lives of his people, crushing the head of the serpent, all pointing to what he does in Jesus Christ. All summarized and encapsulated in Jesus. And isn't it beautiful that when we look at Jacob and we can see how wronged he was by Laban, how unjustly he was treated, far more in a sense than than what he probably deserved for what he did to Esau, And, and we can feel how wrong and unjust that is, God is doing no wrong. God is working his plan out. And you know, you have to love in the book of Acts when Peter is preaching to the crowds that have just crucified Jesus. My, what that must have been like. The crowds that were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And, and Jesus has been risen from the dead and he has, he has ascended and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's become the prince and the savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to his people. And, and as Peter preaches to the very ones who crucified him, he says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You took him by lawless hands. You crucified him, but God raised him up and made him the savior and that God was working his purposes out. God was doing it in Jacob's life. God did it in the savior's life. And now by way of implication, he does it in our lives. Um, you know, I, I, I want to make a confession to you and I've probably confessed this too often. I want an easy life. I want an easy life. Do you want an easy life? Just admit it. You want an easy life. Who doesn't want an easy life? God has not promised us easy lives. He's promised to bless us in Jesus Christ. He has promised hardship and trial and waiting and delay and difficulty and contentions and fightings. I've thought about the Apostle Paul for for the last year and a half, and, and, you know, the Apostle Paul is beaten and mocked and stoned and shipwrecked and rejected by the churches he planted and mob-lynched and dragged out of every city he goes into to preach Jesus, and he has the marks on his body to show it. Paul didn't have an easy life because God hasn't promised that, but he's promised to bless you if you will listen to his word, if you will come to his son, if you will seek to walk according to his wisdom, if you will trust the salvation he's given in Jesus Christ. And I want to say two things this morning. Last thoughts. If you have never trusted in Jesus, this is a perfect message for you to hear what God is doing and to come to him and for the first time trust him and say, you know, I've been like Laban. I, I, know, I know the price of everything and the value of nothing. I have, I have used everybody to get my own way. I am mean and cold and selfish and proud and and only interested in me. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus and you come to him, he says, I've taken all that selfishness on myself, all the living for self, all the pride, all the greed, all the enmity, all the hostility, all of that. I took it on myself. I was wounded for that. I was bruised for that. I was nailed to the tree for that. And your heart is melted and you are made new. And if you, if you have come to Jesus and you have trusted in him, we are to see that no matter what trials God puts in our life, he has already blessed us in Jesus Christ. He has promised to bring us to glory. 
he reveals to us that he is working all things together for good in our lives. If we love him and have been called according to his purpose, he is working it all together for good. It hurts. It's not fun. It's painful. We don't like it. But God is working it together for good and we can rest that he's with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us because he has been wounded and bruised and raised for us. For us. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us hearts that understand that you are working out your purposes in our lives and that you are doing marvelous things even when we feel like we're in the wilderness and when we feel like we are under uh, oppression or in the crucible, when we have been so unjustly treated even by those within our own homes or in the church or in the community. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would have mercy on us and that you would help us, as Jacob learned, to listen to your word, Father, to know that you are with us, that you are working in us, that you will do as you have promised for us. Give us grace to be assured of the certainties of your promises this morning, that you would fix our eyes, the eyes of our hearts on your son, that you would help us to see him crucified and then risen and now reigning and coming again for us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work in us as we now come to the table to further that grace in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.